Amen. Let's read verses 21 through 26 to finish it off. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Because from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 23, Acts chapter 1. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Amen. That is chapter one of the book of Acts. And we are going to be making our way through the whole book. Does anybody know how many chapters are in the book of Acts? Take a guess. Close. Someone said 30. That's close. Anybody else? Someone said 40. Someone said 42. Someone said 41, 28, 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts kind of ends a little abruptly. Most people think that it should have come with a conclusion. Some would proffer that the book of Acts was left open-ended so that we, the church, might continue to write the story of the church, to write the history of the church and and. I don't know if that's the case, but I like to think of us in that way, that we continue every day to write the history of the church in the way we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we serve Jesus, and in the way we live out the great commission of Jesus Christ. Okay, another question, another trivia question. I told you tonight's going to be interactive. Does anybody know who the author of the book of Acts is? Siri was about to give me the answer. We got a hand over there. What was that? Nope. Close. Luke. Correct. The gospel of Luke had the author Luke. And the book of Acts was written by Luke. And they come together. They're most, um, most scholars believe that Luke-Acts was written as a two-volume set and written at the same time. Although in Christian tradition, that is the way they, they lined up and ordered the, the New Testament canon. They inserted the Gospel of John because it was a gospel um, and separated it from the book of Acts because it was not necessarily considered a gospel account. Now, a gospel account signifies the good news. And whenever we say the gospel or good news, we're not, only, we're not necessarily talking about the church as much as we are talking about Jesus. So when, you, when we talk about the gospel and the good news, it's not that the church did something, but it's that Jesus did something. That Jesus died for our sins and he made a way for our sins to be atoned by his uh, giving of himself on the cross for us. And in doing that, Jesus made a way for us to be reunited or reconciled to God the Father. Then in the succession 
um, of, of Luke's fluidity in his writing, we then move into the gospel of, or excuse me, the book of Acts, which is not a gospel necessarily, although it does give us the ministry of salvation. And it speaks about how the church then continued the work of Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, so I want to make sure we can all start with, with the, the common understanding and the foundation that Jesus um, was the center or focal point of Luke's gospel. Um, and then the book of Acts is not necessarily centered around Jesus, although Jesus is the, is the heart of it. He writes actually about the early church and the apostles. You'll see that chapter one of the book of Acts, we just read it, kind of lays out an outline. It says that you need to go, Jesus says, you shall go into all the world, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go to Jerusalem first, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost ends of the earth. And you'll see that the book of Acts follows that sequence. It starts here in Jerusalem. We're going to read in chapter 2 when the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 that were in the upper room. And then Peter gets up and preaches right then and there. People receive the gift of tongues and people hear different languages from their different um, places of the world. Okay, And at that point, the gospel is then is taken from there. The first 10 or 11 chapters of the book of Acts, you can read a lot about Peter and the apostles and the 11. And then adding Matthias, Johnny come lately, to that, that 12th position that Judas um, vacated when he, he turned over Jesus and betrayed him. And then he died as a result of what he, what he did in turning in Jesus. But after that, you can read... Peter then takes the gospel, you guys, and, and we're going to be studying this, but I just want to give us an overview. Peter takes the gospel, the message of Jesus, not just to the Jews, but God demonstrates to Peter that the gospel was not just for Jews only, but for who? For the Gentiles as well. So we're going to see how that the gospel then moves into Samaria, where it was a Gentile mix of Jews and Gentiles. And then it's taken all the way to Rome and extended to um, the known world throughout the Mediterranean region. So we'll see the movement from Jerusalem to Rome. Does that make sense? And Rome being the center of the Roman world at that time signifies that the gospel was being taken to all the earth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, what's important for us to understand historically is the infrastructure that the Romans um, laid out for the spreading of the gospel, the roads, the aqueducts, the, the infrastructure, the buildings, and all of that made it possible for the gospel to reach distant parts of the earth. Man, God's timing was so amazing and beautiful when he rolled out the gospel. So um, if you want to think of Luke, all right, and I hope you guys will get this answer on the trivia next time. If you want to think of Luke, when he was writing the full body of his books, his two books, I want you to think of a stick figure with a head and a body. With the head, we all know that who is the head of the church? Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. So if you drew a stick figure in your notes right there, you can draw a stick figure and you can put Jesus. Then in parentheses, you can write Gospel of Luke. 
So Luke wrote the gospel about Jesus. And then if you want to point to the body of the stick figure, or if you're a better artist than I am, right? I go with stick figures. If you want to draw a more elaborate body, you can't. And you can draw a line from that body and you can write right there, okay, Acts. And Acts is writing about the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Because the body is the church. So he's going to write about the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles, and the works of the early church. And that's a fun way for us to remember that Luke is Luke wrote in a two-part um, volume or two-part succession of the head, which is Christ, and then the body, which is us. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's go to chapter 1 now, and let's, let's see how far we can... We can go in tonight's Bible study. Again, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We're going to be going through the book of Acts for the next 28 weeks. Get ready. Put on your seatbelt. It's going to be a fun ride. All right. So now that we've established that Luke was the author of both Luke and Acts, and Luke happened to be a big part of Paul's ministry, we'll see that after chapter 10 and 11, the book of Acts is going to take on a different kind of movement, and that is following the missionary journeys of Paul. So the book of Acts was not just about Peter and the, the early apostles that made up the 11 and then the 12, but it also spoke a lot about Paul and the reason why these followers of Jesus Christ dedicated their lives to the gospel message. It says, in the former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. All right, pause there for a moment. Now, chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us who Luke was writing specifically to. So he had a target person when he was writing, and he probably had a greater purpose for writing, but who was the person that he wrote this book to and addressed it to? Theophilus. Everybody say Theophilus. So Theophilus is a person that Luke knew that he was writing to. All right. And it is widely agreed that Luke was a physician. And he was probably a medical doctor of those early times because of the type of language and the words that he uses both in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts that your other Gospel writers and other New Testament writers never used. So it's like pulling from a medical encyclopedia, you know, like WebMD online. You're like, hey, I can't write WebMD, but I can go there and learn from WebMD from somebody who knows their stuff. Right, Sister Melinda? So WebMD is kind of like the way Luke wrote his stuff. And this was a brilliantly written book. If you, if you knew Greek the way some scholars do, I don't know him like the greatest of scholars, New Testament scholars, but I can read Greek and I can pronounce some words and follow along. But thank God for my online uh, tools. I can translate a lot what's in Greek into English. I can also see some of the meanings that God intended for the original uh, readers or recipients of the New Testament writers. And so it's really, really fun when you get a chance to learn some of the language here that, that Luke uses. Let's continue. He's going to clue us in on one of the other major themes in the book of Acts here 
in verse 2. Look what he says. Before Jesus was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the who? The Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So one of my professors in seminary at Fuller would say, the book of Acts can be summed up into two things. You can call it the works of the apostles, or you can call it the works of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was introduced to us here in chapter 1 in a very, very different way. If you have ever paid attention five times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will hear that the Gospel writers refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as something that Jesus will give to the church at a future date. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will baptize you with himself or by the Spirit, but it says that Jesus will baptize you with the Spirit. In other words, what I would like to say tonight is that the Holy Spirit is a gift that is given to us from Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So we, the church, or those who were reading the Gospels, were, in, were waiting in great expectation for this gift that Jesus, that God the Father had for his people. Now, you know, oftentimes we teach on certain things and we give facts and we give information, but we want you guys to be able to take this stuff and own it and know it and, and file it into your, your, your minds of, of, of biblical information to help us to become stronger believers and become stronger in the word. Now, if we now know that Luke was the first volume or book written by Luke, and the book of Acts was the second volume or the second book, would you guys like to see how the end of Luke reads so we can see how it transitions into Acts chapter 1? Want to do that? Come on, let's go. So let's go to the book of Luke, which is going to be two books over, just in front of John. And go to the beginning of John and turn back one page. And you're going to see Luke chapter 24. And I got another trick question for you, so you better get ready for my trick question tonight. I'm going to start in verse 50 of Luke chapter 24. Are you there with me? All right, let's read, because we're studying the Word, and that's my goal, is that we study the Word, and that we could ask questions. So next week we'll have, we'll have a, a comment mic Okay, and then I talked with with our text. Maybe we'll be we'll be able to have a text message number that people can text questions to about the study that we're engaged in, whether we can answer that that night or have a, an answer from that question the week prior so we can keep building on our questions of Bible study. Amen. Look what it says in verse 50 of Luke chapter 24. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So there we find here in chapter 24, Jesus, um, his movement from Bethany back into Jerusalem and where they're worshiping him, all right? Um, in verse 44 and following of chapter 24, you can see where Jesus explains the whole Bible 
to people that he was walking with on the road to Emmaus. And that also clues us into the fulfillment of Scripture, which is something that Jesus really, really takes to heart. Now, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you guys like it when people make promises that they don't keep? I don't see any hands in here. How many of us have ever been guilty of making a promise that we didn't keep? We should all raise our hands, right? So guess what? One of the things that we know about God is that he is faithful and that he is true and that he's a good God and he fulfills his promises. So what we see here in chapter 24 of Luke pointing to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the fulfillment of the promise from the Father, guess what? It Luke wants to make sure that he demonstrates that Jesus kept his promise. Isn't that awesome? He demonstrates that to us. Look what it says, verse 49. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Isn't that a blessing? Now, I want you to think about what it means to be clothed. Do you guys get dressed every day? You clothe yourself every day, right? So what does that mean about the Holy Spirit? You must clothe yourself every day with the Spirit. Oh, he's not just going to get up with you in the morning. Because guess what? I have, I have experienced firsthand what it's like when I do not clothe myself with the Holy Spirit. And I find myself in a place spiritually that I don't want to be. So I have to clothe myself, my thoughts, my mind. I have to allow my my whole being to be consumed by the word of God. And that takes discipline. That takes a commitment. That takes faithfulness unto God. Amen? Amen. So I got a quick question for you guys. Every year we, we, we come together and we um, observe the seven last words of Christ. Right? And we talk about these seven last words and we go to the gospels to find how the different gospel writers include different sayings, which are the last sayings of Christ. But I asked somebody this the other day, what was the last saying of Jesus Christ? And they were thinking of the word, it is finished. How many of you saw that in the gospels? We, we, we think of it is finished, right? Or into, into, uh, your hands, I commend my soul. Those are some of the last words. But guess what? Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose up and he spoke to the disciples. And the book of Acts, chapter one, for us, technically gives us the last words that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended. Isn't that cool? You can have that. You, you can share that with somebody in a little fun way, joking with them about the last words of Jesus. Because look what he says right here in verse eight, chapter one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I would like to have a little fun with that and say that was the last word that Jesus gave before he ascended to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, to the throne room. Jesus, in bodily form, it wasn't just his spirit, you guys, because he had physically, bodily resurrected from the dead. And in his physical form, physical body, Scripture says, both in the Luke 
Luke in account and here in the book of Acts and in others that Jesus ascended right there in front of their very eyes. And as they were watching Jesus ascend, all right, we're just we're processing through the book of Acts. It says that two men dressed in white stood there and said, hey, what are you looking at? But I want to bring us to verse six. And I think this is really, really important for us to think about today. Okay. Look what it says. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus had walked with them for 40 days, the book of Acts says, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, according to the hand um, and the apostle Paul, he talks about the resurrection of Jesus as well. Says that over 500 people were witnesses to Jesus' bodily resurrection from the grave. That's very significant, right, you guys? When, when all of this fantastic and unbelievable miracles were happening and taking place, not to mention the miracles that Jesus was performing during his three years of ministry here on earth, they were so spoiled. Imagine the apostles and those who were a part of the ministry of Jesus or who were recipients of the grace and mercy of God through miracles or through salvation. Imagine what they were privy to. Imagine the things that they saw with their own eyes or experienced themselves in their own flesh. And now they have Jesus right here, a captive audience. And they ask Jesus, Lord, so are you now at this point, now that you've been resurrected from the dead, now that you're alive again, because they didn't know he was about to leave right here. Luke says, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So in other words, you guys, it was like they were, they were saying, pull out the popcorn, what's next, Jesus? Hey, you know, well, what are you, how are you going to do it now, man? Are you just going to just go and just wipe out the Roman army? And you're just going to let Israel just assume it's, it's, it's national reign, it's monarchy? Who's going to be, are you, are you the next king? <laughs> and you guys, sometimes we as Christians, we get so caught up in wanting our faith to be um, such a fantastic faith. Sometimes we get caught up so much into wanting to see um, a miracle right now. You guys, sometimes we, get, we forget that God really is just after faithfulness. We, we get caught up in this Christian faith frenzy that we just, we want to see people slain in the spirit all the time. Or we want to chase the fire. And that is so dangerous. It is so dangerous for Christians to think that they need to be emotionally uh, moved or, or aggravated or they have to have some type of physical rise out of their, their lives or their bodies to think that Christianity is somehow alive. You guys, the power of the gospel is not in what's next in terms of miracles, in, in terms of what, what Jesus was, was about to do and some huge, large, oh, the power of the gospel is when somebody recognizes that Jesus is God and that their sins are forgiven by what Jesus has already done. And that person comes to salvation. That person comes to faith. That's the power. 
So when the, when, when the disciples were saying, Jesus, what's next? And these two men, these angels that, that be, just began to just appear right then as Jesus is ascending into heaven. Essentially, what God was telling the disciples who witnessed Jesus' ascension was this. You know what? You want to know what's next? You getting to work. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. What's next is how you and I are going to faithfully live out and reestablish a trust in this world with people who have become disenchanted with the church. People who have become distant from God and have attached their faith to, uh, to God to the church. People who have become disenamored with the role or the purpose of the body of Christ or faith. People over the course of these last couple years and, and then some that have said, you know what, I'm just going to do this faith thing all by myself. But how many of you know that God did not call us to do this faith thing? God didn't call us to do that. God has called us to be the church. God has called us, you guys, to focus on serving the Lord Jesus faithfully and reestablishing and building bridges with the generation that has become distant from God or the church. I was reading an article this week. I hope you don't mind me sharing. There were four major things that somebody who's not a believer, but who's an outsider looking in at those. Your brother. And guess what? He's found four things that cause people to have issues with the church. One of them, abuse of power, abuse of centralized power. And you know, in Protestantism, we don't have like a pope. But in Christianity as a whole, there are many different silos of, of Christian authority figures that have um, not represented the gospel in ways that have wanted or, or drawn people to want to serve God or to walk out their faith faithfully. The second thing, you guys, was Sexual misconduct of all different kinds and types throughout Christendom that has caused a great big distance or straight arm to the church or organized religion, if we can call it that. The other was politics. And that within the church, people have started to create politics and, and silos of division within the church because people have different opinions and beliefs about all these political things. And finally, it's recent. It's a more recent thing. And that's been the whole COVID mandate, vaccine, mask issue that has created enemies of friends and people who says, I'm going to a different church because they don't require this, that, and the other. But you guys, we got to put all that stuff aside. And we have to get close. We have to create a holy huddle where we come together, we pray and we ask God to show us where he wants us to go and how we're supposed to live it out. I, I'm excited to be a Christian in these days. I'm excited, I'm excited to be a man of God, to be a pastor. I'm excited to be a man of the cloth. When so many people have been criticized and so many people have just thrown in the towel 
And these last two years and say, ministry is just too hard. I can't do it anymore. Churches have been closing. People have just been walking away from their faith, from their calling even. But you guys, our calling should be clearer than it ever has been in the history of the church. Amen? And, and I hope that you can just sense that of what God has called us to as Mission Ebenezer in genuine love and authenticity and not allowing the enemy to come in and kill, steal, and destroy and separate people and friends and brothers and sisters and families within the body of Christ, but that the Lord can use us as an example, as a witness to the glory of God for the salvation of the world. Amen? I'm excited, you guys. Okay, so let's keep reading through the Word of God. We got... We got 10 more minutes. Praise the Lord. Let's pick up now. I got some notes. And of course, I've been going through my notes, but I want to pick up on, on um, one of my other thoughts. Okay, let's go to just some fun facts. Um, verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives or Olivet, a Sabbath day walk from the city. The Greek word here for Sabbath day was hodos Engus. Hodos Engus simply means a short walk because the Sabbath day was a shorter day than most days. So a uh, Hodos, which means road or way, and Engus, which means short. So it says that they had walked and returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, which was a short walk from the city. And I've had the, the, the opportunity to to visit Jerusalem, and right outside the wall right there of King David and the city of Jerusalem is, uh, there's like an olive garden, which many believe was the place that Jesus prayed often and the place from which uh, the disciples gathered together. And any of you guys that like to study the Word of God and like uh, flashcards, look, we have numbered for us all of the 12 original disciples of Jesus. And, and you can number them right there. You can, right here in verses um, 13 and 14. Look, it says, and those were present were Peter, one, John, two, James, three, Andrew, four, Philip, five, Thomas, six, Bartholomew, seven, Matthew, eight, or Levi, James, nine, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, ten, Judas, the son of James, and then, of course, there was Judas Iscariot, the, 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 the traitor. Well, after he died, they replaced him with Matthias. So he's like the 13th that is numbered and named. So there's a wonderful little trivia question, if you like that kind of stuff, to follow along. Sometimes it's hard to find those kinds of verses when you want to find them. Oh, where's that verse that has all the name of the disciples? Well, the book of Acts names them for us right here. Chapter 1. So we see a lot that points to the, his, the history. Everybody say history the history of the early church and the followers of Jesus. Praise God. So, let's see here. Processing along. Now, one of the things that I, I also wanted to highlight for us, and, and then I'll pause and we can ask some questions and maybe go to the text. We can write some questions down. If I don't have the answers, I don't have all the answers. God has all the answers. We can come back with the answers that some of us may have. One of the things that many of us as Christians may have thought about. Savannah, you're a young person, you know, 
you're a college graduate. Think about this, right? When we talk about the second coming of Jesus or the, the parousia, right? And we read in scripture that says, and Jesus will come again and his imminent return, which means he's going to come back. We just don't know when. Some would ask, you know, some ask Jesus, when are you going to come back again? And he says, only the Father knows. Jesus had human restrictions that he applied to himself in order to give a preeminence or prioritization to the Father. But in doing so, it leaves us wondering, when will Jesus come back? It's been close to 2,000 years since he ascended. Scripture tells us that the urgency of the gospel is for us to go and preach because he's coming back again soon. Somebody say he's coming soon. We have to live our lives with that kind of tension and not lose sight of the fact that Jesus can show up any minute. When I was young, I used to always say, man, God, after I steal this pack of gum from Alpha Beta, please don't come. And then I got to be a teenager and I said, Father God, please don't come until after I get married. <laughs> Praise God. But we've all had those fun, fleeting thoughts about when Jesus is going to come again. The parousia or the return of Jesus Christ is kind of an open ended thing, which is why I said, you know, maybe Acts chapter 29 is the way we mission. Ebenezer, if Paul was alive and he was writing a letter to Mission Ebenezer, what would he write? What would he include in that letter? If one of us had been writing a letter to Paul, man, I need your prayers, bro. We're going through this, that, and the other. And then Paul writes and puts um, his, his, his ink feather to parchment paper and starts to write to us. I wonder what that would include. Have you ever thought about that? That'd be pretty cool, huh? Well, guess what? In, in you, you and I thinking about the return or the second coming of Jesus Christ. What if in, when, when Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit there? What if they were waiting like still? But one of the things that Jesus mentioned was that there was a specific there was a time-sensitive waiting, a poignant time in history where God intervened. God intervened and saw that the specificity of Jesus' command to the disciples to Jerusalem was going to take place in a short period of time where Jesus' word or his command wasn't an open-ended command. Go and wait. You know, God is like that with us. Sometimes he gives you a specific, timely word that has a day or a date and a time of day that he wants you to do something. And there are other things in our faith that God calls us to be faithful, knowing that we don't know the time or the details of his return. And guess what, you guys? We have to live in the balance of both. Amen? 
You have to live in such a way whereas you work, you save your money, because one day you may need that money or you want to pass it on to the next generation after you go. We also need to live in such a way that we don't hold on to the things of this world so tightly that we lose sight of the spiritual urgency of the gospel, which is to live a holy life, which is to live a righteous life, which is to live a life according to the scriptures in such a way that guess what? Oh, we can live in the New Testament grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus. But guess what? He's also a, a, a wrathful God too. He's a vengeful God. He's a, he's a zealous and a jealous God. And he will actually discipline us if we get away from the word of God or his obedience too far. God will touch us and allow us to fall on our face, experiencing the very thing that he was trying to prevent us from having to experience because of our disobedience. And so that's what I mean. There's, there's a balance of obedience and there's a, there's a balance of an urgency. And there's also the, this, this idea of Jesus may not come for, an, for another hundred years, maybe another thousand years, but we're still living in the end days. Why are we living in the end days? Because Jesus ascended and he promised the Holy Spirit in the end days that the Holy Spirit would, would and fire would baptize his young men and women, they would see dreams and visions in the end days. So we have seen the fulfillment of that prophecy from the, the Old Testament pro, uh, prophetic book of Joel. We've seen the fulfillment here in the book of Acts of that prophecy of the Holy Spirit baptizing his people with fire. And in doing so, we are now living in the age of the church. The age of the Holy Spirit. And those are considered the end days. So when people say, man, pastor, look at there's fires and there's, there's earthquakes and there's wars and rumors of wars. Do you think we're living in the end days? And you, guess what you need to say? Absolutely. And it doesn't just mean that God may, is going to come tomorrow, although he may. It doesn't mean that God is going to come a thousand years from now, although he may. We don't know. And that's the beauty of our faith. That God holds the key to all of the answers that we would love. And I prefer it that way. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. We would just be standing on what we know. And that's easy. We can live and stand on what we've experienced in the past. What we do about right now and tomorrow is the beauty of what it means to be a child of God. Amen? Okay, hey. Let's go for another five more minutes. Isn't it different starting at 6.30? You know why we did that? For younger families. Uh, we're, we're a family church, and we just saw fit for younger families to be able to get home sooner, get the kids ready for school the next day, not as tired. But guess what? I've never seen a, a tired teenager on a Thursday morning hurt them. I've never seen that. You know, they may lose, a, you know, a little bit of sleep going home, finishing their homework after church on Wednesday nights. But I've never seen it hurt a child or a family making, coming to the house of God, learning and growing and being with one another hurt an individual. And so that's why we're back. We're taking our Wednesday nights back. So spread the word. 
Share the word with your friends and family. Um, we're excited about diving into the word of God on Wednesday nights. It's going to be so exciting. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Any questions that you guys saw tonight in the word? Any thoughts? Any comments? Any things that, that maybe anything that we can maybe talk about or discuss or address tonight before we go? We got a question from one of our sisters who says, "How important it is for, how important is it for us to have the Holy Spirit in our lives?" I would say that it is um, essential, that it is a must. Now, when someone invites Jesus Christ to come into their life and they receive Jesus, or they ask God for the forgiveness of sin, all right, um, and we we talk in terms of uh, salvation language, right? Um, that means at that point that person has received Christ. At the moment that the person has received Christ, they have received the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, sister, is different from receiving Christ or his spirit at the point of confession of faith. Now, you and I know, you guys, that somebody can, you know, make a profession of faith and it may not be real or authentic. It may be just something to get them out of jail, get out of jail free card. Something. Folks make promises and make decisions that may not even be real. And so we have to walk out our faith along with the, the confession and the profession of our faith by living that out. Now, receiving and having the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is something that God has promised for every believer. That is what I believe. That's the doctrine that we teach. That is the theology that we believe that the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit can be for every believer. Because we're going to read in the book of Acts that every time Peter or Paul ministered salvation or ministered the gospel to others, they prayed for those people to receive the Holy Spirit. And that meant the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is different from um, simply... Um, having the spirit or having the holy spirit in one's life but so we can make the 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 distinguish the distinction between the two and hopefully we can we can bring some more understanding and a greater experience and knowledge of that fact as we continue to study but it is essential to invite the holy spirit because the holy spirit is um not an it it's a he and the holy spirit is god Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. And no, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It is a word that we have given to an idea or a concept to understand and for us to comprehend the, the, the Godhead, the triune Godhead, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has spoken about in the Old Testament and then is developed even more in the New Testament. And we can pray to God the Father by the power of Jesus, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have full access to God, full access to His power, to His grace, to His mercy, the, the ability to overcome. And sometimes we as Christians forget about our prayer life. We forget to, to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and inviting Him into our everyday life. And it's so important that we do so. It's a great question. Anybody else? Sister.
If a person does not ha have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is not a badge of honor for someone to have it. It's simply something that God desires for us to seek of him and that he can give to us in his own time and in his own way. But it doesn't make anybody any less of a believer if they have not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Although we are Pentecostal as a church and believe in the Holy Spirit baptism and the fire of the, of the baptism that, that we receive when we speak in tongues or when we interpret or have other um, charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? It's something that we encourage the body of Christ to, to desire, to seek, and to experience. And it's my belief from Scripture that every believer can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, although there are other gifts of the Spirit that we see evident in the early church. And, and, and Paul talks about that in a different book, 1 Corinthians, um, and also in the book of Romans. But um, but yes, it's it's something that we should desire. But if one is not baptized in the Holy Spirit, they can still have a, a, a vigorous prayer life and a wonderful prayer life in relationship with God. Absolutely. Anyone else? Question in the back. Correct. There was a distinction. The, the Holy Spirit has been there since creation. It, we read the Genesis accounts. We read other accounts that, that talk about the triune Godhead. We read in Genesis chapter 2 where it says, let us make man in our own image. So there, there's this idea. Also the Ruach in Hebrew. In Genesis chapter 1 when it says there was an empty void over um, the, the, the vast um, wide nothingness that the Ruach or the Spirit of God came and created. And so the Holy Spirit, through God's word, his spoken word, came and created at that moment through Christ, but also through the Spirit of Christ. So we see evidence, biblical evidence, of all three being in, in all of Scripture. And then in the New Testament, we see it elaborated because it was a gift for the church for evangelism, for witnessing, for empowerment, and for the things that we were going to have to overcome and experience in this present day and age. When God intervened in time and history and became a man in Jesus Christ, for 33 years, the whole world had Jesus in the flesh. So part of God's redemption plan or his salvation plan or salvific plan was to give us the gift that the Father promised, which was the Holy Spirit. And that is a very tangible, a very real gift from God that we experienced because God created limitations to the physical expression, which was Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. God created a, limit, a limited experience, right? A limited time offer <laughs> of sorts where, where Jesus was here walking the face of the earth for 33 years knowing that Jesus was not going to be able to live in the flesh forever and for eternity and be here with us in the flesh, he gave us his spirit. Correct. Wonderful point. So that she, her point was so that Jesus would be interceding on our behalf with the Father for all of this time. And I say, yes, and that is wonderful. 
that is an absolute wonderful way to think about the wonderful relationship and the, and the harmony by which Father God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, are working in and through us, the church, which are a part of that salvation plan, even though we're imperfect. Isn't that great? All right. Well, hey, it's 739. I think that's a great place for us to start. God bless you guys. Hey, we're, we're going to try to keep it to an hour. If you can try and arrive by 615, 620 on Wednesdays, we're going to start having prepackaged snacks. We're going to start having coffee, little things that people like to come and enjoy. We'll have that, but we're going to be starting at 630 sharp, and we're going to be trying to keep it within that, that hour time frame. Okay, guys? Praise God. You guys have a great time tonight? Amen. Let's give God a great hand of praise and, and God bless you guys. Thank, thank you for being with us tonight on our Wednesday night Bible study. We're going to be on YouTube for our English service, so spread the word. Our, um, our social media team and communications team is going to be letting everybody know of those facts so we know where to tune in if you're not able to be here in person. Um, so praise the Lord. God bless you. Stay tuned. We'll see you next time.